All right, kids, come on up. Come on up, kids. It's time. Even if you're visiting with us, come on up. Children's message is ah, fifth grade and under. You're welcome to come on up. If you uh, want, you can come and join them if you feel like it would be good for you to come up too. So everyone's welcome. Good. Come on up. Find a spot to sit. All right. Keep coming up, guys. Come on up. I'm going to start as you come. Come on up. There's room for everyone. Come on up. Find a spot. All right, now we just sang a little bit ago, we sang Psalm 20, right? We sang a psalm, and we sang verse 7, which says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So some trust in chariots and some in horses. Chariots and horses were used a long time ago in battle, in war. And when one nation would fight against another, those who had more chariots and more horses were more likely to win the battle because they had more weapons to, to go into battle with. And so some nations would trust in their military equipment and their great military strategy, their plan for the outcome of that battle. And many times God uses things like chariots and horses, but sometimes he acts in other ways beyond just what we can see or our great strength, our own strength or our own plans. God is always in control and will always act however he wants, even in battles. We even see that in the Bible. Um, We see in the Bible that God uses sometimes uh, armies. Sometimes he uses really, really small armies to beat really large armies. God can do that. Sometimes we see God sending one nation into confusion and the nation starts fighting against itself rather than their enemy and they like destroy themselves so that God can do that. We see God sending a wind to make noise in the trees and and confuse armies so that they run away. God can do that as well. So we see God doing lots of different miracles of many kinds throughout the Bible. You know, in our lives, sometimes God works through the physical things, the things that we can see, and sometimes he works outside of those things, the things that we can see and trust in in this world. Here's an example. When somebody is sick, right, sometimes God uses doctors and medicine to help them get better, right? God can do that. But sometimes God heals somebody, and doctors can't explain it. They don't even know what happened. It's just by God's healing power, and God can do that too. So because God does whatever he wants, no matter what the circumstances look like, therefore we can trust in God always, no matter what we see with our eyes. God might act in a way that is totally different than what we think he will or what we would anticipate he would do. And so we, when we trust in God like this, that's called faith. Right? Faith is believing in God, believing that he will work and do what is best for his purposes. And so when we have faith like that, when we trust in God, one of the ways that we can show that is through prayer. When we have faith, we can pray because we believe that God is in control and he's trustworthy and he can act and do uh, things that we don't even imagine. And when we pray prayers of faith, 
and trust and confidence of God. The more we pray like that, the more God increases our faith even more. He gives us more and more faith. So although some people might trust in only things that they can see with their eyes, like chariots and horses and medicine, we trust in God more than anything, right? So we want to be people who trust in God and pray prayers expressing our faith and our trust in God. God is trustworthy, and so we can trust him in all things. So thanks, everybody, for coming up. You can go back and have a seat as Pastor Jeremy comes. If you have your Bibles, you turn with me to Psalm chapter 20, please. Psalm chapter 20. So this is the last for this summer in the Summer Psalm series. If you remember, we're taking 10 psalms a summer in order to work through all 150. So last summer, 1 through 10, this summer, 11 through 20, and on and on and on until I am 13 years. Would that be 58? God willing. So why... What's that? Yeah. So why Psalms? Keep your finger in Psalm 20 and just look at Psalm 11. Look at Psalm 11, verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I know many of you feel like and the foundations of our culture are crumbling. What can the righteous do? Isn't that appropriate? How do you answer that? Psalm 11. Psalm 11 is a gift to Christians in whatever culture they're in when the culture becomes crumbly. What do the righteous do? They learn to sing Psalm 11. They learn to feel what the psalmist feels. They learn to express their faith there. Look at verse thir- or chapter 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow all day in my heart? You ever felt like that? What do you do? You go to Psalm 13. Learn to pray and sing Psalm 13 when you feel like God is not listening. When you think the sorrow is deep and you're gurgling. That's what it's given to you for. And you can go on and on. The Psalms are given to us to respond to our lives, our inner life, the world, our marriages, to give us words, feelings, emotions. They connect the objective truth of God with the subjective reality that's going on in you and teaches you how to express it faithfully. And they're songs. God has given you 150 songs that cover a breadth of your experience, all of it, teaching you to feel whatever's going on, and how to respond to it. It's really a gift. You heard of uh, Spurgeon? He 
wrote a commentary on all 150 Psalms, and the title of the commentary is um, The Treasury of David. King David wrote most of these, and Spurgeon calls it a treasury. It's a Christian's treasure. So that's why we're preaching, just 10 a year, trying to introduce some of the songs. And the hope is that you as Christians at Pine Grove Community Church would be better at knowing how to respond to the world because you're learning these songs of the faith. You're learning how to respond Christianly in faith to what's ever going on. That's why we're doing it. In Psalm 20, boys and girls, children of all ages, is wonderful. It's glorious. It's a psalm for going off to war. Seen Braveheart? The speech? This is, he should have sang this. That's what this is for. If the king and all of the cavalry, all of the army are there in the city. The whole city is gathered around and they're praying for the king and the warriors before they go out. And the king gets all this courage. He gets strength. And, and he's affirmed that God is going to win the day. That's what it's for. How do you depend on God in the midst of the day of trouble? So you might not be in the military, but you can apply that. You're going to have a day of trouble, aren't you? What do you do when that day of trouble comes upon you? Hopefully, Psalm 20 is in your tool belt. You can learn to sing it. Let me read it. Um, Psalm 21 and Psalm 20 are connected. Psalm 21 continues the praise of the king after winning the victory. So we'll get to it next summer, but you get a chance. Maybe just read right through them. They're really delightful. But here's Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. In the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Let's pray. Lord, we love your word. Teach us to meditate on it all the day. Your commandments make us wiser than all of our enemies. It's forever with us. Give us understanding more than all of our teachers. Give us more understanding than all the aged. And teach us to keep your precepts. Hold back our feet from every evil way in order that we might keep your word. Heavenly Father, we do not want to turn aside from your rules. You have taught us. Your words are sweet to our taste. Give us taste for them now. Through your precepts, we get understanding. Teach us even now to hate every false way. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the commentaries I use in the Psalms is this little one by uh, Derek Kidner. And his introduction to Psalm 20 is really helpful. So I'm just going to read it. It's a short paragraph. 
This explains what's going on in Psalm 20. This day of trouble. So you see that right in verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. This day of trouble is one of impending battle. As the chariots of verse 7 make clear. All right? So God's people right outside the walls are the enemy's chariots. The shape of the psalm brings the scene before us. The king prepares to march. His prayers and sacrifices have been offered, verse 3. His plans have been prepared. And his men are grouped with their standards. Right? They got their flags, they got their insignias, and they're all ready to go. First, there is the congregation's God's speed to him, verses 1 to 5. The congregation is gathered, the people have gathered around the army, and they are giving a corporate prayer of blessing. That's verses 1 to 5. You can picture this, can't you? It's really a powerful scene. The king and the army, enemies right there. They got the chariots. They got all the high-tech military stuff. And here's God's people surrounded, all the congregation there, and they are praying for their king and the army. The king replies in a single voice, perhaps the king himself, tells of the certainty of God's answer, verses 6 to 8. Now I know. So the congregation has prayed for them, the blessing in 1 to 5, and there's the king response, responding, now I know, verses 6 to 8. And then at the end, the people respond in verse 9 with one final prayer for him. It's brief and it's urgent. It is one of the most stirring of the Psalms by its tense awareness of life and death issues soon to be resolved. And then Psalm 21 is its companion, all exuberance and delight. So that's this psalm. Psalm 20, at least this far in the, psalm, uh, in the psalms, maybe only second to Psalm 2, is most clearly telling you about Jesus Christ. He's the king. He's the king. He's the king of kings. And our king taught us to pray something like this. Thy kingdom come. We've prayed that. How many of you grew up memorizing it? Could you say it right now? Did you know that that's a prayer like this, a war prayer? You king, may your kingdom conquer. May your kingdom win. May you defeat all of your enemies. May your rule and reign come here on earth as it is in heaven. It's a warfare prayer. He's the king. He's got a kingdom. It's in heaven. Everything in heaven happens as the king wants it. That's not yet true here. May you, king, come and do that here. So Christians know our national anthem is a prayer of battle. Praying that his rule and reign would come and conquer all things. That's what we're seeing in Psalm 20. So you're part of his kingdom. A constant theme in the Psalms is the division between God's righteous and the wicked enemies. And we know that we are always going to have conflict. How can you be a Christian in this world and not make enemies? 
you really, really have to try hard to not make enemies in your workplace as a Christian, right? You would really have to go out of your way to be like a chameleon. It's pretty easy as a Christian, just by living Christianly, to bring trouble. Jesus said this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Isn't that crazy that he would say that? And Christians say this all the time. You could probably repeat it with me. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual force of evil in the heavenly places. So we're in conflict as Christians. And so Christianity is a religion of conquering, but not with the sword. We don't conquer with military might. We conquer as our king conquered. And how did he conquer? Well, he came down from heaven as a slave, born to a humble woman, peasant. He was man and utterly dependent on God as Father. He prayed and prayed and prayed for the help of heaven. He served often the lowliest. He battled the elite. And he, his greatest victory came in the most weak and pathetic of ways, dying on a cross. He won by death. He gave his life. He won in weakness. This is one of the things we exalt about God. His weakness, taking on flesh and dying on the cross, is far greater power than the greatest power of man, or the devil, or death. God is so strong that dying is greater power than all of the powers of the world and of the devil. And so by dying, he won. Now when Christ died and he sent the Holy Spirit upon the apostles, the disciples, they lived in a world that was run by Rome. The mighty Roman Empire. How long was it before the cross conquered Rome? It's a couple hundred years. <laughs> How? How did the church conquer the mighty pagan Roman Empire? How did they do it? Well, they prayed and they gathered to worship and they put up with all the tyranny of the Roman Empire and they gave their lives standing firm to Christ. During times of plagues, the Christians were the only one who didn't flee the city and they went out and helped people. They sent out brothers and sisters to go preach the gospel in places that were inhospitable and they just did it. They plotted along. 
And the church conquered the world. Not by military might, not by, you know, church growth strategies, not with money, just with prayer and worship and having children and raising them to love Christ and not loving their life so much that they weren't willing to be embarrassed in the culture and live for him. And they just did that generation after generation after generation after generation after generation after generation. So Christ conquers. He conquers. That's what Psalm 20 is saying. Christ so trusted in his Father that he was willing to come down and fight and willing to come down and fight by laying down his life because he knew that the Father would raise him, save him, and that it would conquer. This is the same God we have. This is the same Christ we have. This is the same gospel we have. And you're so scared in our world today. And you're so angry about masks and vaccines. And, and Christ is our king. And he has conquered. And what we sang in Psalm 20 is true. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's our God. Don't you want to sing that? Aren't you sick of singing the K-Love songs? When you can sing something like this? That's a cheap shot, wasn't it? I'm just saying, shouldn't we learn to sing songs like this that give us courage for a day like this? Shouldn't we learn to have this kind of a faith? May we shout for joy over your salvation. Come, men of Christ, be strong. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. This is what the song is for. And so I do understand why we are disheartened as believers in our world today. It is disheartening what we see going on around us. It is. I can understand why you're discouraged, why you're pessimistic, why you are apprehensive. It is a, it is a reality that some of you, based on what President Biden said just a few short days ago, may lose your jobs. Yeah. That's a big deal, though. This is hard. So what do we do? Well, I think we learn Psalm 20 and others like it. We learn to teach ourselves that Christ is king and that he has conquered in great weakness. We learn to humble ourselves and pray again. And so maybe Psalm 20 can become something of an anthem to you. And it can keep you from all of the Facebook videos that you constantly watch that give you this or that conspiracy and is just consuming you. You're tempted to think that the vaccine is somehow the mark of the beast and some silliness like that, that you can just have faith in Christ and plot along as a Christian, not being so moved by every little rumor that you hear. Psalm 20 can give you some strength. 
I don't want to ever discourage you or dishearten you from fighting, but are we fighting as Christ did? And how did Christ fight while he was on earth? What did he do? How does the Bible demand that we fight as believers? What's our weapon? What's our artillery? What's this psalm doing? What is this psalm? It's just a prayer. So again, here's the king with the army. The people gather around. All of the old men who can't fight. All of the young men who want to fight but aren't old enough yet. All of the feeble. All of the children. All of the women. All gathered around. And what are they doing? They're praying. May the Lord, may the name of our God, may he send you help. May he remember. May he grant. May we shout. May the Lord fulfill. They're praying. Their preparation and response in a day of trouble is first and always prayer. I don't remember where I read this this week, but for a Christian, this, this author said, conflict is for prayer. What do we do in times of national sin? We humble ourselves and pray. What did Christ do often before he entered into a great battle or right afterwards? He left the ministry behind to go and pray. Prayer is our artillery. God's people should always be a praying people. Times of trouble are always made into times of prayer. I think this is one of the things that for me has been so disheartening about the American Christian response to what's going on. There's very little prayer, but there is a lot of Facebook posts. There's a lot of talking big and saber-outing about governors and presidents, but very little praying. There's hours and hours and hours of reading and YouTube watching. And, but are we praying? So you could view Psalm 20 as just simply teaching us how to pray in our nation when we're facing the kind of things that we're facing. In verses 1 to 5, our corporate prayer pleading with God for his blessing on leaders. Six and eight are the response of the leaders. So what I'd like to do is apply this in a few ways. First, obviously David wrote this. The king wrote it. The leader wrote it. I think he's preparing his people. When the day of trouble comes upon us, when the day of battle is there, here's what to do. Here's a a prayer, a song to get dug down deep in your bones so that when the chariots roll up to the gate, the first thing we do is this. And here's what to say. Isn't that awesome of God? He doesn't say just pray and then figure out. He's like, now pray and here's, here's the script. Here's the script. So, are you in any kind of position of leadership? position of responsibility for others, of authority 
over others. Here I mean husbands, fathers and mothers, older siblings, civil leaders, business superiors, those of you who are superiors over others at the workplace, older saints in the church, how are you preparing those under your care to respond in times of trouble? David is here to prepare the people that he's responsible for and how to pray for him when the day of trouble's there that he might not faint. Isn't that good? What are you doing to prepare your wife, your children, our church, your workplace? Maybe it's just a letter. Here's how to pray for me when the bottom line in the business doesn't look good. Maybe that's the memo to send out tomorrow morning. Or kids, dad in the workplace, this is going on. Here's how to pray for me. Or mom, kids, here's how to pray for me. It's good shepherding. That's one thing you could do with this. What are you doing to ready those you lead to respond with prayer? One of the podcasts I listen time to time is Joe Rogan. I don't know why I wanted to admit that, but take it or leave it. Who cares? He recently got COVID, and he had a plan in place for when he or his wife or children got it, what, who they were going to call and what monoclonal blah, 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 and what, what, what he was going to take. He had a plan in place. And, uh, man, that's good leadership. It's very good leadership. He's seeing this is going to happen, and I want to make sure that my clan is ready. How much more us? When the God in heaven calls us to pray, how will we pray? Are we ready? On the flip side then, the people prepared by their king took the prayer and prayed for their leader. In 1 Timothy 2, we are urged to make supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving for all kinds of people. All kinds of people there means all types. And then he notes particularly, particularly those who are in authority. We're urged to make prayers for all different kinds of people, but particularly those in leadership, those over us in authority. Why? So we may live peaceful and quiet lives, which is pleasing to God. So just as I encourage those who are in authority over you to prepare you for how to pray for them, so you could make Psalm 20 how you're going to pray for those who are in authority over you. You want those that God has placed in authority over you to lead you well. You want those who are in authority over you, especially very close, intimate husbands for your wives, parents for your children, Elders, pastors, deacons for you, members, supervisors for you, employers, or employees under them. 
How do you want them to respond when a vaccine mandate comes down? Are you praying for it? Are you giving him or strength, encouraging, building them up? Or are you whining, complaining, maligning, you know, sapping strength? Wouldn't this be so encouraging to have a group of people that you're leading knowing that they are praying like this for you? Particularly if you're a Christian. If you have supervisory role at work, could you imagine if you had employees who were consistently praying like this for you and they let you know it? Whatever your name is, I want you to know I'm praying the Lord to answer you when the day of trouble comes. I'm praying that the name of our God would protect you, that he would send you help and support from whatever you need, whatever you're facing as you lead us. I'm praying that God would remember all that you've done and regard you with favor. I'm praying that God would give you your heart's desire and fulfill all of your plans, that we could all ever shout for salvation. I'm praying this for you, brother. I'm praying this for you, mom. I'm praying this for you. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. I got your back. And I will not stop praying for you. Imagine what courage that would give you as a leader. Are we doing that? And note how the king responds. Now I know. Well, notice how the leader responds and the people give him an infusion of this kind of loving, submissive, humble care. Now I know that the Lord saves. He will answer. He will save. They can trust in whatever. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. Wouldn't it be great to have a leader like that? Are we praying for him? Don't tell me the Bible is not applicatory to your life. Don't tell me that this isn't written for you in your life, in whatever you're doing. Husbands, give these to your wives to pray for you. Wives, be doing this for your husband. And you can not only apply this to like days of trouble that are significant, but the little junk in your marriage and family and workplace, little stuff. Instead of saying, honey, I asked you 20 times to fix the drawer. How about pray? I think we as Christians should be much more prayerful than complaining, shouldn't we? But are we? How about for Governor Evers? How about for President Biden? Did you do more griping this past week or praying? I'm asking you that because I know which one it was for me. And it wasn't praying. So look at the fruit of this kind of dependence on God. Don't trust in chariots. We don't trust in horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. They will collapse and fall. We will rise and stand upright. Isn't that fruit good? We do live in a day where the idol of our world is our government. We live in a welfare state. We live in a state, the kind of place where everyone looks to government for everything. And this is our world. This is the world we've built. We're the ones responsible for this. Some of you have come already to me and we're working on a vaccine exemption. We've got three pages written and something that you could bring to your employers. We're just about done. Maybe we'll email it out tomorrow. 
But some of you have come and said, hey, my business, whatever, is going to be mandating this vaccine. And yet look at all the other ways that we've just given in along the way to these mandates. And it's kind of late in the game to grow a backbone, isn't it? And yet we do have to. We have to say no somewhere. Where do we do it? How do we do it? Well, we, we do have to start with prayer. And we do have to start with hope in God alone. And you know, hope in God does take action. We don't as Christians say like, our hope is just a spiritual hope, but we don't ever do anything. Our hope is in God who is unseen, and that should motivate action. Christian action should motivate you to run for an office. It should motivate you to whatever it is. Why? Because we trust in the Lord our God. We trust in the Lord our God. We of all people have hope because the Lord our God is our God. We have optimism because they'll, they'll fall. We'll rise and stand. We all know that the change won't be immediate. A quick fix isn't coming, but it does start with how you relate to God in times of trouble. And so how are you relating to God in this time of trouble? Is he your hope? Is he your confidence? Is he your protection? Is he your help and he your support? Are you worshiping him with all that you are? Is he your salvation? Is he the one that you constantly besiege with an artillery of prayers? Is he the power that you rely on? Is he the one that you're looking to to raise the situation from the dead? Is he the one that you're exalting? So we make him our hope. We trust in him. And we do. And I'm saying that as a challenge, but we do have him as our hope, don't we? Generally. He is your hope, isn't he? He is the one that we look to. And so keep that up, brothers and sisters. Keep it up. We are not without hope at all in this day. Not at all. Why? Because verses 6, 7, 8, 9 are the reality of the future for the church. They will fall. They will collapse. Paganism, worldliness always eats itself. All, all, all of this will fall, but Christ will stand. Those who stand with Christ will too. So, O oh Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. And so let's call on him. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to live these kind of psalms and not just keep it kind of like out there or it doesn't apply to me, but would you teach us to take this home with us, to, to wear it, to make use of it, to, if we're in leadership, to teach others on how to pray for us. If we're under others, that we would make this our consistent prayer for those in higher positions, that we might live peaceful and godly lives in this world. And so, God, may you grant strength to those Christian leaders in government, 
in the workplace, in the church, in the home, in all areas of our world, strength and courage to stand for what is right, to protect your people. And so, God, give us courage because you are God. May our hope be in you alone and not in anything else. And so would, would you teach us to trust in you the name of the Lord our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. The charge is this. Please take what you've learned from Psalm 20. For those who are believers in the Lord, in authority over you, and let's pray for them. Let's pray for those who are placed by God in leadership over us, that they might know we're praying, they might know how we're praying, that we might give them strength for this day of trouble. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only true God, be honor and glory forever and ever and in our lives in the coming week. And amen. May God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord, and I love you.